Welcome to this month's Pre-Sale Pulse trending topic. Today, we're tackling the complexity of housing affordability. In our newswire, we've released a series of articles discussing what informs affordability and what are some of the greatest challenges we are faced with. Now, joining me today is none other than Susana Gonzalez, who approaches housing affordability with compassion and a visionary mindset, and Brittany Reimer, whose broad perspective will shed light on the larger context of housing affordability. So let's dive into uncovering some deeper insights, recommendations, and let's offer a bit of a global perspective about the pressing issue. I have a recommendation. Mm. Move to the Fraser Valley. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, when we look at the data, I mean, Fraser Valley is a, an option for sure, but it's clear that housing affordability, which has long been an issue in Vancouver, has really only gotten worse. Um, the price to income ratio for housing has risen significantly, making it harder for households to purchase homes within a reasonable time frame. Rent affordability, as we know, is also um, a, a big struggle, um, and people are, are struggling to meet the 30% threshold of their gross income. Right. I mean, no doubt supply and demand dynamics continue to play a crucial role in affordability, and Vancouver has consistently fallen short here. Uh, we've reached 40 million residents in Canada, record immigration targets, and yet we still aren't seeing any improvements in relative housing starts. Um, construction efforts constrained by labor shortages, higher interest rates, costs for materials, and just a sheer lack of direction from leadership are just some of the, the issues that are raising inflation. Um, by some measures, this country needs to build 3.5 more million homes than it is on track to reach uh, some resemblance of affordability. Uh, you know, Brittany, you're mentioning a bit of a lack of direction here. I'm somewhat curious, what types of conversations around afford affordability do you think that we should be having? Well, I, I mean, I think affordability is, is really a complex global issue. That's It's not unique to Vancouver. Every large city across the globe is grappling with it. According to a recent study, overwhelming 90% of cities worldwide are deemed to have unaffordable pricing uh, when average house prices were compared to average household income. Now, this problem is even more severe in hub cities like Vancouver, New York, London, uh, to the, due to the extreme disparity between housing prices and income. So in Vancouver, for instance, the median benchmark price for a single-family home is essentially $2 million, Stark contrast to other cities where unaffordability might actually be associated with housing prices of over $400,000, but the conversation is essentially the same. Yeah, I mean, if we're hearing you correctly, Silas, you're saying that housing affordability term is a catch-all and we need to um, find nuanced definitions tailored specifically to our local conditions. Yeah, exactly. The conversation must begin with a new definition of affordability, namely who should be entitled to own property, what kind of property, and under what circumstances. What are we searching for? We need a realistic marker to, I think, measure against something nobody is currently doing. We have to ask ourselves, what are we actually striving for in terms of housing affordability? The CMHC says it's a home for everybody that suits their needs. Uh, but what, is that, what, is every, what does that mean, right? Should every single person be able to own a studio? Should a household with an income of 100K be able to afford a three-bedroom home for their family? What does it look like and who gets to decide? Well, I think it's no doubt just a difficult conversation, right? It's a, it's a tough question. Once we're able to parse that out, though, what are the levers that you think we should be pulling on to fix it? Yeah, I mean, I, I can imagine there's no there's no magic bullet here. Ultimately, the key is addressing this crisis is not implementing one, two, three, or four or five strategies. It really requires a comprehensive approach that might be 25 strategies really tailored into, into one. Yeah, I think, you know, one thing that we have to continue to see is obviously the upzoning of single family, um, and especially in landlocked areas like we're in now. Uh, we need a greater variety of housing options and more density. We're starting to see a shift here, but certainly not quickly enough and not high density enough. Uh, it is encouraging to see also places like Montreal with more low density housing options like multiplexes, townhomes, low rises, uh, and close to the core as well. 
These housing types provide opportunities for a wider variety of builders that can help address affordability challenges, not to mention it improves the vibrancy of the neighborhood when you have a variability in housing types as well. What do you think, Ray? I think it's it's difficult, right? Part of it is, do we have clear path on vision, right? And then what are the uh, the targets? What are the deliverables that we're attempting to pursue? Um, and then how good of a job are we doing in communicating whether or not we are achieving um, or unfortunately underachieving in those moments? And I think right now where, where we get lost is that middle ground of feeling like there's a significant lack of clarity, there's a lack of definition. And then as a result of that, we shouldn't be surprised, maybe a lack of progress. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, I mean, I'm having this conversation every day right now during coffees and lunches. Um, the high municipal fees associated with housing are significantly inflating the cost of homes for our development partners and then in turn uh, home buyers, making them even more unaffordable. Um, uh, per a recent study, CMHC municipal fees actually account for as much as 24 percent of a typical unit's cost. That is a lot. That is a, a cost that gets passed right along to those home buyers. And so there is more that municipalities can be doing to curve some of these costs. The interesting part about it is that we have housing initiatives that are set federally to some degree uh, provincially and then uh, based off of municipalities direction. And what's happening though, is that at the same course that we're setting and trying to define what affordability could look like, the progress that we're trying to make in these marketplaces, what's happening is that many different municipalities are actually working against the provincial and the federal vision. And and we're unclear as residences, as Vancouverites, and certainly as Canadians, are we making progress or are we not? And it feels like, how do we have a conversation around affordability when we're talking about green initiatives that increase the cost of construction that ultimately land in the home buyer uh, working against the affordability measures that we're trying to impact in the first place. Step code is a hot topic right now. <laughs> and construction prices, what we do know, are going to set uh, the value levels that will be offering supply into the market over the next four to five years, right? And if we see escalation of construction prices from step code changes, what we do know is that that's ultimately coming out of the pockets of home buyers, which are already being, I think, targeted to some degree from the Bank of Canada in terms of interest rates. And so what is what, right? And who is actually responsible for driving us forward on affordability as opposed to saying, well, that's a federal issue or that's a provincial issue or that's a municipal issue. And what's nice about that is that that is something that feels like quite achievable and something we can really tackle here. If we looked at the other end of the spectrum, for example, we, you know, people talk about Singapore and, and how housing affordability in Singapore has um, really was, you know, been a, a valuable tool for those people to have uh, affordable housing. Um, but, you know, really it's been seen as a necessity for providing to citizens with a roof over their heads rather than a commodity to be traded. This might require us to explore radically, radically to rethink our approach to real estate. Um, and that's sort of, I think, one of the cold hard truths of about housing affordability. For all families to afford a single family home, the market would need to fall by essentially 50 percent, if not more. And that would just, you know, cripple Vancouver's economy. Um, real estate's also been a primary driver of wealth for families in Vancouver. Many have relied on the equity in their homes as their retirement plan. Um, and so taking a model like Singapore, for example, is just a completely different approach uh, on the very other end of the spectrum that I'm not quite sure that, you know, we've got the stomach to, to really handle. Yeah, I mean, the dream of a single family home in Vancouver is somewhat becoming a, a myth now, right? Um, we have to really get real about the needs that we're aiming for here. Uh, we need concrete goalposts that better define what we're actually chasing, right? You mentioned this earlier, knowing what we want, vibrant communities with lifestyle stages and employment opportunities represented in all of that. That is just a lot to take on, right? And I think that we could probably break this topic up into so many different segments and, and have hours of content that fall out of it. I think 
Maybe let's spend a little bit of time before we wrap this up, though, talking about some of the interesting policies and solutions that we're thinking about and seeing in other places around the world, other than Singapore. For yeah. I mean, obviously, we just touched on them. They've got uh, individuals with a 99-year lease below market value. Uh, selling on that property is highly restricted to reduce uh, profiteering, um, but it can happen over a five-year cycle. Uh, nearly four in five Singaporeans live in public sector housing, uh, according, according to the stats. And, and so that's definitely you know one approach we can take. Um, perhaps something a little bit more palatable, though, is, is areas like Berlin and Germany. Um, governments at the local level have started responding by upzoning single-family areas in order to allow for construction of up to several units per lot. These kinds of policies also promote social inclusion. Um, what German and Swiss housing policies to some extent do to ensure they provide subsidies to guarantee a reliable flow of low-cost rental housing into the system. And they have seen, you know, a little bit of success there. And, you know, we're starting to do that here, but I think we need a lot more of that. And no question or, or maybe a good one for me is Austria, right? Uh, one of the best housing systems potentially globally, the capital and the most popular city, Vienna. It holds one of the world's strongest social housing portfolios and systems. It's supply side subsidization that only helps the lowest income families. Um, housing costs in Vienna has remained around 25% of their income, and they have regularly been able to avoid that housing price inflation that we're seeing were unrampant in parts of the United States and certainly in Canada. Sweden, Norway, and Denmark also have extensive co-ownership, uh, whereby individuals own, use, and control their own dwellings. But Shared spaces and property are owned jointly and managed collectively with neighboring members. Um, we're part of a, a cooperative, uh, which also improves affordability, and they've seen some success there as well. I think it's it's a shift in culture, though, fundamentally, right? The mindset is different. They look at housing not as a way to grow net worth or, or wealth. It's seen as a way of truly supplying housing to those that need it at an affordable level. And they look to other endeavors in order to build their net worth. And I think that that cultural shift that Canadians and maybe different parts of North America need to go through is probably going to be one of the biggest changes that we have to, we really have to tackle. So maybe not focusing the conversation around home ownership and maybe focusing it around housing of any form, which means that a departure from the high target rate that we've typically always have had, where every Canadian has a right to actually own a white picket fence. I think that we have to make those changes before we can actually see the outcomes and benefits of some of these other programs. And decide where on that spectrum we want to live, right? And then, you know, based on that decision, understand the you know what needs to come with that so if we're if we're looking for a ton of subsidized housing and you know then it's not going to be a commodity anymore it's you're not going to earn your wealth that way um but if you know if we're sort of more keen to stick with something similar to what we have now then i think we're going to continue to also talk about affordability because as long as renters feel like they are second-class citizens and as long as the rest of canadians think of rental as a second-class city in position i i think that we're in a tough goal forward when it comes to housing affordability. So just taking us back to, to home here, um, Premier David Eby has released his Homes for People Action Plan. Um, this is a comprehensive strategy for tackling housing affordability and supply issues, focusing on the four priorities of unlocking more homes, um, faster delivery, better and more affordable homes, and helping those with the greatest uh, in needs by creating a housing market for people instead of speculators. Yeah, that's that's right, Britt. You know, of course, the results of that cannot yet be seen. It's we're very early on, right? And and to be determined whether it's a driver. But I think rest assured that we're going to be watching this and actively supporting our development clients. I maybe we'll do an episode uh, on homes for people report card next year. What would be fantastic is is us to be able to sit around this table and actually celebrate some of the achievements, right? Setting targets and then actually nailing them, right? I think that that continues to happen. Because I, I, at 
if you think about it, it's actually a fairly straightforward problem um, with a fairly, fairly straightforward solution. We just have to build more homes. We have to unlock more density. We have to provide more opportunity for people to be able to purchase or to rent. Um, and we have to maybe support a wider diverse group of individuals in terms of what that actually means from a financial standpoint. And in, for us um, as Vancouver Rights, I think that we have to get this right. And I think that the opportunity over the next over the next year, especially as we have new mayors like Ken that come in with a lot of energy, trying to make Vancouver great again, right? Trying to do its very best to bring it back alive. I think, I think it would be short-sighted for us not to think about how housing can be a big part of that. Yeah, we were. Uh, we actually just talked about this in the Fraser Valley edition of the Presale Pulse. There was two concrete launches in the last year in Surrey, um, and I was just talking about this at lunch. I think maybe three or less between Langley Township and downtown Langley for wood frame building. That's just not enough inventory. There is not enough homes um, to, to, to be in market right now, especially with all the influx of immigration we have. Um, I think, you know, what we can agree on is there's a ton of opinions on the matter. Uh, it's also just a complex issue that's going to take a ton of collaboration between both the public and the private sector. Um, and we're going to be talking about this for a long time. And we could probably be here for hours and hours uh, as well today. But on that note, I believe this wraps up another episode of the pre-sale pulse trending topics. We hope this conversation piques some curiosity, perhaps some desire to engage in the conversation as well. Thank you, Suze. Thank you, Britt. Uh, another great episode. Thanks for viewing, everybody. We'll see you next month.